to Matthew chapter 12. God's goat, what possibly could that mean? When I was growing up, if you were the goat, it wasn't something that was considered good. It means that you were the worst, uh, you were the outsider, you were the one everyone blamed some sort of problem or trouble on. But that's not true today. If you're the GOAT, you are the best at something. In fact, there's an acronym for it. GOAT stands for greatest of all time. And there's GOAT debates going on all the time about just about anything. Uh, the ones I'm most familiar with, maybe you as well, are sports. And so you got the debate on the GOAT in the NBA, who's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. You got um, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or someone like that in the NFL. Um, in NHL, maybe someone like Ray Gre uh, Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux. Olympics, you got um, Phelps and Simone Biles, maybe, or you got gymnastics, you got track and field, tennis, golf, coaching, baseball, boxing, soccer. I mean, it's endless, all the debates on who people think are the greatest of all time. And if you've ever read articles on it, I follow tennis pretty much. I read an article between Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. They're all equal in how many grand slams they've won. And they had a whole chart listing all of their statistics, all their career victories, all the things they've won and accomplished. And it's really a comparison, how old they are, how long it took them to do it, how much they won, and so forth and so on. But the GOAT decision or debate is always about comparing at least two, if not more, people about who stands out amongst their peers in a certain given sport or some sort of endeavor. Um, certainly, uh, this is not anything new, right? I mean, this is not just a modern thing. It's an ancient thing because if you read the Gospels, you'll find, and there are a number of them, in fact, in all the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them have at least one and some two instances where the Bible teaches that or says that the disciples were walking down the road with Jesus, and while they were walking, they were talking about which one of them would be the greatest. And I don't know if they called it the goat disciple back then or whatever. I'm sure they didn't. But they wanted to know which one of them would be the greatest. In fact, I think that probably was on her mind in ancient terms anyways when James and John's mom comes to Jesus. Remember that story? And she says, hey, can my son sit on your right and left hand in the kingdom? I mean, to be on the right hand and the left hand, you would be God's goat, wouldn't you? I mean, you would be Jesus' right hand, left hand man, right? So I think she wanted... Uh, you know, to give a little nudge to Jesus, say, hey, my sons could be the goat disciples pretty easily. And if you read the passage in Matthew 20, uh, the other 10 disciples, they didn't really like that too much. I'm thinking that they're thinking they're the goat and they shouldn't be. And uh, so it didn't go over very well. But unless you and I think for just a moment that that's just something that took place then, um, it takes place now, doesn't it? We do that. And we have what I call great debates all the time. Who's number one? Who's the favorite child in the family? We joke about that. Um, who is the most popular leader? Who's the best president in the United States? Um, we even do it in God's house, in church and ministry. I've heard people talk about who's the most spiritual, um, who's the best preacher, who knows the Bible the most, which church is the biggest and the best and the greatest church and the greatest ministries. That, and we like, we really like to uh, compare ourselves to each other we like to have little stats and who does this and who has this and how are things going. And if we're not careful, though, if we're not careful, um, we can become very secular 
in our way of defining greatness. For believers, if we truly follow Jesus, greatness should be decided by and defined by not our greatness compared to each other, but our greatness compared to him and what he would say greatness is all about. So let me say it to you. Jesus is, if I say it reverently, Jesus is God's goat. He is God's greatest of all time. And because that is true in the scripture, and I'll show you briefly in a moment that that makes it very clear that it is, then we ought to, right? If he's God's goat, then we ought to define greatness and see it like he does and live accordingly. And and I want to take the time to show you that tonight. Um, It's his greatness, not ours, that we should be consumed with. Um, So allow me tonight to present to you and all the stats, if I can say it that way, that prove that Jesus is God's goat. He has gospel greatness. And so we're going to look at them a little bit, one at a time. And that's why I had you turn to Matthew 12. But for the first three of the six stats on Jesus' greatness are there for us. And each of these passages that we're looking at, three in in Matthew and three in John, all have a little phrase or something like it, greater than. So here's the first one, Matthew 12 and verse 6. And it reads, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Um, the story that Jesus was telling, or the, this, the context is in Matthew 12, 1 through 6, is that he and his disciples were eating grains of corn, or I'm sorry, wheat, in, in the field um, on the Sabbath. And to the very strict rabbis or, and Pharisees and scribes, that, that was you weren't allowed to do that because it was considered work. And then Jesus calls up the story in the Old Testament about David when he and his men were on the run and were very, very hungry. And they went into uh, the, the temple or the tabernacle there and they got from the priests the bread of the presence. We call it the show bread, but the bread of the presence. And there were every day in the tabernacle, they made 12 loaves of bread. And that was to give God's provision and supply for all 12 tribes of Israel. And only the priests, according to the Levitical law, were allowed to eat it. But David came in and asked the priest, could he eat from it? And because they were very, very hungry. And the priest gave David an exception. David only asked for five of the loaves, but when it came down, when he went in to get them, he took all 12 um, of the loaves. But the point was, why did, he, why did God not strike him down? Why did God allow that to take place? And the idea is, is because the priests themselves, Jesus goes on to say, they work in the tabernacle and in the temple every day. When they offer sacrifices, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, but they work. They do sacrifices, which was even greater work than taking some uh, you know, grains of wheat off the stalk there. And, and here's what Jesus says. Because if the priest were allowed to have an exception, if David was allowed to have an exception, then what do you think it should be for the Messiah? And here's what Jesus says. You know why? That I am the chief exception to that rule? Because I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than the tabernacle. I'm greater than David. I'm greater than the priest. I'm greater than the bread of the presence that's there. I'm greater than that. And what you'll find, and, and certainly the word greater than doesn't mark out all of them because there's many more in the Gospels. You almost look about anything that had to do with Israel and its system, whether it's the land of Israel, whether it's the temple, whether it's the priesthood, 
truthfully, read the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is all about this one concept, that Jesus is superior to everything in the Old Testament. Everything. And we would say in our context tonight, he's greater than. So when it comes to the temple where very God, God's very Shekinah glory dwelt, here's what Jesus says. Something greater than the temple is here. And that something is truly a someone because he's it. Turn down the chapter a little bit more and you're going to see two side-by-side ones in verses 41 and 42. Second statistic, the men of Nineveh, verse 41, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. In other words, the people of Nineveh who are so wicked are going to rise up when God destroys this generation that rejects his son and be a witness against him. Why? For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jonah preached the message and they repented. And he says, and this is so typical of Matthew all through the gospel, look or behold. Whenever you see that, it's all through the Christmas story, really all through the gospel. When he says, look, he wants to get your attention because it's something very dramatic. He really wants you to look at it. Look, something greater than Jonah is here. Later on in the gospel, he says, you know, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, but the Son of Man will have the sign of Jonah. He will be three days and three nights in the earth. And Jonah was great in the sense that he preached and God used him to turn an entire city of Nineveh around. But here's what the statistic says. Jesus is greater. He's greater than the prophet who maybe had some of the greatest success. And especially, believe it or not, they would have heard this, the prophet who was given a ministry to Gentiles. So is Jesus greater? Yes, because his death and his preaching, especially through the apostles, is not going to just reach Nineveh. It's going to reach all the nations that all the nations should worship him. So when you take it this way, he says, listen, Jesus is God's goat. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than Jonah. Um, But it's more than that. Verse 42 says, the queen of the south, which is the queen of Sheba, will rise up on the judgment of this generation and condemn it. This is just like the previous verse. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, look, something greater then Solomon is here. So you've got Jesus is greater than the temple system and all the sacrifices and all the laws about it. He is greater than the greatest message a prophet could ever preach and all those who repented. And then he goes to say, and Solomon, as great as he was, perhaps outside of our Lord, the wisest man who ever lived, he is the great, his wisdom is greater than Solomon. He's the one that God says, has all wisdom and knowledge, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. I think one of my favorite, believe it or not, gospel verses in this very book is Matthew twenty-two forty-six, and it reads this, and no one was able to answer him a word. Not from that day did anyone dare ask him questions anymore. <laughs> I love that. They were always trying to catch Jesus in something, and eventually he answered all their questions, and not only did he answer, but he made them look so bad that they decided, yeah, we're not going to ask him any more questions. And so I love that because he is so wise. You can't ask a question that Jesus couldn't answer. And he has great, great wisdom, but greater than Solomon's wisdom. So here we go. We got one, two, three. Jesus is God's goat. Greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon. John's gospel now, if you would, chapter four. Building an argument here. John four, verse 12. You know the conversation Jesus is having with the woman at the well. There was a greater, there's a great debate between Jews and Samaritans about whose temple was accurate and God favored, the one in Jerusalem 
or the one where they were, right? And here was the debate. Whose patriarch was better? Because Abraham was the patriarch of the Jews and Jacob was the patriarch of the Samaritans. And so there's this big debate and whose patriarch was the greatest. But in the conversation, verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now watch. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, you have to realize, for Samaritans, and you're going to see in the very next passage, for Jews, no one, literally no one, would have the audacity to ever say as a Jew that I was greater than Abraham. He was the founding father of their nation. He was the patriarch of all patriarchs. And to them, he has got to be the greatest figure in Jewish history. So no one would ever say they were greater. And for Samaritans, they just flip it over in the same way. They would say no one is ever greater than Jacob. He's our, our father, and he's the patriarch of our nation, so to speak, and he would be the greatest. And so when she says to him, when you're getting the living water out of here, but you don't got nothing to draw with, can you be greater than our, you, you can't be telling me that you're giving me water that's greater than coming out of the well that my father Jacob, our father Jacob gave. In other words, she's a little bit put off to think that Jesus, are you, are you assuming, are you telling me that you're greater than him? Who do you really think you are? Well, of course, Jesus goes on to tell her who she, he really is. For her, it was inconceivable because in her mind, only one person, only one person in all of history ever gave water to Israel that satisfied their thirst and their needs. The person who made the water come out of the rock at Rephidim and Kadesh, and the water, it says, gushed out and ran throughout, you know, two million people plus, and it feeds all the people and all the, co the company of people there and all their livestock and everything. And, and she knows this, there is only one person who could ever say that they were greater than Jacob and the wells and things that he has given to us. It would have to be God. And she knows that. And so she finds out, who do you say that you are? And he tells her that he is the one. He's the Messiah. And it totally changes her life. She figures out Jesus is God's goat. So Jesus is greater than the temple. He's greater than Jonah, right? He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Jacob. John 8 and verse 53. Jesus is having a debate about the very thing, about whose father they really are. They claim to be Abraham is their father. And Jesus said God is his father. And he actually gets pretty strong with them and says, your father isn't Abraham. Your father is the devil, which I'm assuming didn't go over very well. But he says in verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. <laughs> Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. In other words, everybody who kept Abraham's word and the prophets, they're all dead, including them themselves. So you're saying to us that you're greater than that? That if people keep your word, that your word is better than theirs? And if they keep your word, they'll never die? Are you greater than the Abraham who died and the prophets who died? See, who do you make yourself? It blew their mind. Who do you really think you are? You can't be serious that you're telling us that you think you're greater than Abraham and the prophets. And Jesus says to them, Jesus says in verse 58, truly, truly, 
I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that didn't just blow their mind. That made them want to kill him. And so they take up stones to stone him. And that's the second time that they've tried to kill him in this gospel. But here, here we go. Jesus is greater than Abraham. And his true identity makes him equal with God. Now, so through these gospel passages in Matthew and then in John, as we're seeing Jesus is greater. And they're, and they're building an argument. And, and now let me give you the last one because the argument of Jesus is goat-worthy, can I say, stats are coming to a climax in John chapter 10. Just turn over another page. In verses 29 and 30, uh, let me start with 28. I give them, John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish, meaning his sheep, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, well, underline it, is greater than all. So we've been pointing out individuals, the temple, Jonah, Solomon, Abraham, Jacob, and we've been going through one at a time. Jesus, it'd be like saying, hey, we, we wipe, you know, better than Jordan, better than LeBron, better than Kareem, better than Wilt. I mean, it's like you're going through a list of all the possible competitors for the GOAT position, and, you know, one by one, we're eliminating them. And it comes to out of Jesus, and he, he wants to tell you himself that my father is the GOAT of GOATs, right? I, I, he, he's the greatest of all. Now watch. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What does that make Jesus? Well, he says, I and my Father are one. So you know what? There is one goat, one greatest of all time, and it's God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, there's one, if, if God the Father is the goat, then Jesus is. Why? Because they're one. So let me tell you this. Here, here's what it says. I am greater than all these people and I'm greater than all these places. You see how it works? I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than the tabernacle. I'm greater than David. I'm greater than, I'm greater than priests. I'm greater than prophets. I'm greater than kings. I'm greater than the temple system. I'm greater than the sacrifices. I'm great, and you name it, Jesus is greater. And I want you to know I'm greater than all of it, he says, because I'm equal to God. Now, you can tell me about the greatest of all time in any place or anything you want to, but they don't compare to Jesus. He is the greatest of all time. See, but the question is tonight, he is greatest of all time. He's the greatest of all in the universe. But let me bring it down to your level and mine. Jesus is God's goat, but is he yours? See, there isn't, the facts don't lie. There's really no argument. Jesus is God's goat. He is the greatest of all time. There's no doubt. But is there a doubt in your life? Is he the greatest of all time to you? And it's easy to say, well, of course, Pastor Walker, the easy answer is I, I saw the text, right? He is the greatest of all time. But wait, wait, I mean functionally. Functionally in your life, is he greater? He's the greatest in the universe, but is he the greatest in your universe? For example, is he greater to you than sports? Is he greater to you than your career? Is he greater to you than having enough money and a nice home and the cars that you drive? Is he greater to you than having, not having cancer, not having difficulties come into your life or trials that you face? Is he greater than the good things in your life? Your spouse, your family, your children. Is he greater than that? Or do you treat some of those things as the goat in your life? Is he greater than 
your ethnicity, does Jesus take precedent over the race that you have or you are? Is he greater than your political persuasions? Is he great? Listen, is he the greatest wisdom that you turn to? If he's greater than Solomon, is he the one that you listen to? Because his, his wisdom will be contradictory and countercultural to everything you, almost everything you hear in our world. But if he is greater than Solomon, is it his wisdom that you look at and listen to? Or is it the worlds around you? Or is it the pseudo-wisdom of our philosophers and the pundits on TV today? Let me ask you this. If he's the greatest, he's greater than Jacob, and Jacob's water really doesn't do it for you, and you need the water that only Jesus can give, is he your source of satisfaction? See, is he? Is he the place that you go to to find solace when you are worried or anxious or fearful or you start getting discouraged about life? Where do you go to be satisfied? Did you hear what Pam said? See, that's what she said. That's what he does. He has given me all that I'll ever need. See, in Jesus, is he your greatest security? Where do you find comfort when you feel like the bottom of your life's about to fall out? Because if he's the greatest, you find it in him. And all that he can be for you in Jesus. See, you don't find the security and approval of others. You don't find security in your own performances. You find it in him. So Jesus is the goat. But is he the goat in your life? Well, say, Pastor Walker, wow. What would it look like if it was? How do I know if I'm answering that, answer, that question correctly? Let me give you the last thing, a principle. And it's really more than a principle. It's a paradox. Here's the paradox. Let me say it to you. Jesus is God's goat, and he became God's lamb. That's the crazy thing. God's goat became God's lamb. Now see, let me say it to you this way. He was above all, but he put himself down lower than all. He was the highest, and he became the least. He was the sovereign God who became the servant God, God's goat became God's lamb. And so John introduces him to that fact in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, he was God's goat, wasn't he? Wasn't he the greatest of all time? Wasn't he greater than everybody else? And in our world, if you're the greatest, then you should be at the top, right? If you're at the greatest, you're at the top of everything, and everybody's less than you. And Jesus says, yes, I am the goat. I'm up here. But you know how the goat lives? Down here. See, the goat becomes a lamb. That doesn't fly in our culture. That goes across the grain of everything goat stands for. So Jesus says in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. I like to call it kingdom goats. You know what it takes to be a kingdom goat? Humility. Even though you could be here, you choose to be here. See, he says, unless you become like a child, unless you humble yourself, unless you see yourself like a child who doesn't have any authority, any power, seems to be weak and has to have someone take care of him, unless you begin to see yourself the way God sees, you'll never understand what true greatness is. See, so kingdom goats get low, and kingdom goats get under. Jesus told James and John's mom in that Matthew 20 passage I referred to earlier, he says, it's not mine to give who sits on my right and my left. 
And then he said this, can you drink the cup that I also drink? Because he says, you know what? To sit in the right and the left hand position, you know what that is? That's power over. See, they thought greatness was, hey, Jesus, you're going to be up here in the kingdom. Let James and John be right there, up there with you. And here's what Jesus says. See, you don't even know, here's what he says, you don't know what you're asking. Because if you want to have this greatness, you got to drink the cup greatness first. You got to suffer first. You got to die on a cross first, like I'm going to die. You got to take up your cross and follow me. See, greatness is absolutely cruciform. You can't have greatness without a cross. And that's not usually attractive to any of us. We become secular goats. And in the passage in Matthew 20, he says to her, he says that in the world, or with the Gentiles, literally, he says, they're great ones. And the, it's the Greek word megaloi, mega, like mega gulp at 7-Eleven, right? Mega, big, huge. The people who, the world define greatness this way. See, they lord it over you, Jesus says. See, you're thinking, James is John's mother, you're thinking like secular people do, secular goats think. You know, they think it's up here, positions of power, authority, greatness, everybody looking up to you. Jesus says, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. That's not what it means to be the goat. And then he says in no, no, the strongest terms, it shall not be so among you. And in the Greek, it's emphatic. The word is not. Not shall it be among you. Jesus says, I want you to get, get that out of your head. That is not what it means to be in my kingdom. Whoever will be great among you, you want to be a goat? You must be the servant, he says. Whoever would be first, which by the way, great and first are parallel. So greatness is firstness in the world. But in the Christian world, greatness and lastness are the parallel. So if you want to be first, you have to be a slave a douloi, someone who has forfeited their rights and given up their freedoms for the sake of others. And here's what Jesus concludes his conversation with her with. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but, strongest adversative, but, completely opposite, but to serve and to give his life or soul for others. See, that's greatness. If we had a goat competition in a debate at Faith Baptist Church, about who's the goat here, it'd be not the one who serves as pastor or deacon or some position of authority. It'd be someone who is not high but low. It wouldn't be someone who is powering over people and to get their agenda or their way, but those who power under people. It wouldn't be the takers, it would be the givers. You see, the greatest of all time to Jesus is the servant of all time. And so FBC needs... Some God goats like Jesus. People who would get low and serve. Because if, the, if you viewed greatness, we would have so many people lined up to serve in the nursery that we wouldn't know what to do with all of them. Awana would be flooded with people who want to help children because they want themselves to be like one. All the light show possibilities of all the times that you could work would be filled very quickly. You know why? Because people said, I want to serve. I want to do a job that's behind the scenes. And no one may know I'm doing it, or I may never get credit for it, but I want to be in it. See, FBC needs some parents that will say, I want to teach and model my teenagers, my children. I want them to see 
how God defines greatness because they're going to school and they're going to places where everyone is defining greatness categorically the opposite of everyone else. And I want my children to see that this is what really matters and this is greatness. I want to tell them this is what it means to be God's goat. I don't want them to follow the cultural goat but the Christ goat. I want them to know what real greatness is all about. So I teach my children, see, you can do your homework, but we are going to church, and we are going to serve, and we're going to be in ministry together, and this is what we're doing. You know why? Because that's what makes someone great in the kingdom. So again, Jesus is God's goat, but whose goat are you? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to see that Jesus is God's goat, that Jesus is the greatest of all time. I would think in our minds tonight, not one person would dispute that here. The record and the stats and the scriptures and the gospels are obvious. But I pray, Lord, that it would be just as obvious in the way that we live our lives. The things that we do and how we serve and the examples we are to the young people in our church and to the ones in our homes and what they see as greatness in our lives, in our families, in our priorities, in our values. Father, it's so easy to be a secular goat, to go for the greatness that the world offers. Help us, Lord, to take up our cross and to be great in comparison to the way Jesus was. That as a church and as individuals, we might be more like him. And we thank you for that. In his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You are